Well, my message this morning is entitled, Painting Pictures of God. Painting Pictures of God. Now, uh, I have three grandchildren, for those of you who don't know. And uh, the youngest is two years old. And uh, she understands some of the things we tell her. Uh, we, can, we know that because she does what we say. Um, some of the things we tell her, we don't know if she understands because she doesn't do what we say. And then sometimes we know she absolutely does understand us because we know she deliberately doesn't do what we say. But I have three, the youngest being Aria, and then I have Judah, our little, uh, the lion of the tribe, our little boy. And then, of course, the oldest is Ella. And uh, so I asked them the other day, knowing that I would be doing a sermon entitled Painting Pictures of God, I asked each of them, I said, I want you to draw a picture of Pa. So in our family, my grandfatherly name is Pa, okay? So the kids call me Pa. Don't you call me Pa. <laughs> the kids call me Pa. And uh, just, you know, I, one of the things I absolutely love is family time. And uh, so I asked Aria to draw a picture of Pa. I'll let you decide whether or not she really understood what I was asking her to do. Now, I'm not a psychologist, but I'm really hoping that the stick figure in the middle and the circle around it isn't an image of a grandfather who thinks the world revolves around him. <laughs> but that's Pa from Eller's, uh, uh, Aria's perspective. And then I asked Judah, I said, Judah, would you paint a picture of Pa? And this is what Judah painted. Now, I'm still trying to figure out, I am hoping that this thing to the right of me is a pulpit and not a hatchet. <laughs> so that was uh, Judah's impression of Pa. And then I asked Ella, I said, Ella, would you paint me a picture as well? And this is what Ella painted. And hopefully the reaction you just had is the emotion that's in her heart when she thinks of Pa. But the question is, what pictures have been painted of God in your heart, in your understanding, in your journey of life? What pictures have been painted? I already alluded this morning during communion that Satan uh, spared no effort to paint a drastically horrendous painting of God to entice Adam and Eve to not trust God. And then when they fell and sinned and realized they mistake, made a mistake, obviously that had taken root in their heart. And we know that because the first thing they did was run away from God. Well, I like painting pictures too. And uh, I, how many of you know that I've tinkered a little bit with paintbrushes? Nobody? Okay, well, this is my very first piece, and uh, I'm going to let you see it. There you go. That's my very, very, very first piece, so that's quite amateurish. Okay. But I, I also realize that when I'm preaching, I'm often painting pictures of God. And this series is all about me painting pictures of God. So I'm going to ask my assistant to come on down, because as I preach to you today, I'm going to paint a picture of God. How's that? So here comes Lynn. She's got my apron. There you go. And uh, <clears throat> the reason why I'm doing this is because it dawned on me a couple of weeks ago that Jesus was constantly 
painting pictures of God. And I'm going to read to you a few scriptures and a few things that Jesus preached that shows us, Lynn, would you just, there you go. The strings aren't as long as they used to be. I think they've been shrinking. I don't get it, but. Uh, <clears throat> so I have uh, my palette of colors. I can't tip it too diagonally. Otherwise, they're going to run all over the floor, and now we're going to have a very colorful carpet and, or a very colorful guest. Uh, but this is the palette, and of course, I've got my very select brushes, and uh, we're going to paint. So uh, thank you. I am going to need that. If you would put that jar of water there and just leave me the rag, and I have a blank canvas here, and that just fell off. Cool. I want you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And uh, my faithful guys up the back are going to put it on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. I guess I wasn't supposed to do that either. All right. There we go. Did it ever dawn on you that Jesus was often painting pictures of God? And the reason why that's necessary is because a lot of false things have been said about God, even in the church. And uh, here comes Jesus in a period where the Hebrew church was filled with Pharisees, Sadducees. People had all different kinds of opinions of God. The Samaritans had a completely different view of God. Everyone had a different picture of God. And Jesus came to reveal the Father and to set the record straight. And so in Luke chapter 12, we see Jesus starts to share a parable or a story, and he says, Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat, or about your body, or about what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they don't sow, they don't reap, and they have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest of life? And then in verse um, 27, he says, Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was ever dressed as beautiful as one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here tomorrow, today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Right away, Jesus is painting a picture that you and I are more important to God than even the flowers, the trees. If he would look after the birds and not one bird would ever starve, how much more he'll look after you. And so God, Jesus is actually painting a picture that prioritizes God's heart. You are more important than the ecosystem. Now don't take offense, but be honored that God sees you as very, very important. And Jesus sets that out and he's painting this picture. 
If God would take care of the sparrows, if he'd take care of the ravens. The other day I was sitting down and watching this video of uh, how birds dance and the different things they do as part of their mating call. And part of the footage was taken in Papua New Guinea in some very, very remote areas. And man, some of these birds just absolutely resplendent with color, iridescent purples and blues, and then suddenly it cuts off here and there's bright yellow. And I'm looking at the stuff and I'm thinking, if I ever dressed with colors like that, I'd look really strange. And yet this, it just comes together spectacularly. God painted that. But the devil paints negative pictures about God. And so it's very important that we understand that God is always painting pictures. And God paints happy pictures. God paints pictures of how much he loves us and how much he wants to bless us. You see? And so this is a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm going to be joining in here and just adding my picture of God to what I'm drawing, and uh, you're going to follow right along. But watch this here. Jesus goes on and he says, Now if that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and is thrown in the fire, how much more? You and I are the ones who answer that question. How much more important are you in God's eyes than the flowers? How much more important are you in God's eyes? Jesus asks the question of us. In a sense, he's painting a picture, and then he says, let me see what your picture is of God. What do you think of God? How much more valuable are you in God's eyes? I'm telling you, God thinks you are extremely valuable. How many of you have ever heard of the precious stone called tanzanite? It's a beautiful blue stone, just an absolutely gorgeous blue stone. And it is found only in Tanzania. And uh, very, very rare and therefore also very, very expensive. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are more valuable than a tanzanite stone. Now, I hope that some of you men, that isn't the nicest thing you've said to your wives in the last three months. And if it is, I'm going to help you score more, even more points. So turn to the person next to you and say, you are more precious than rubies. You're more valuable than fine gold. God thinks you are incredible. See, I just helped all the men in this place to paint a really good picture. and <clears throat> There you go. Now look at this next sentence. I already told you. He said, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you? And look at the last statement. Oh, you of little faith. Can I ask you a question? What's the formula of faith got to do with this? The topic here is God's relationship towards mankind, and Jesus starts talking about faith. And you know why? You see, most of us have learned the formula of faith. There's a formula to faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse, nobody knows it? Verse 1. How many of you know Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1? Put your hand up nice and high. All right, everyone who knows it, I want you to stand right now, and I want you to start to quote it. Come on, stand. If you know Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, I'll give you a hint. Now faith is, right? If you know it, stand up. That's it. Some of you are starting to remember. Now on the count of three, let's all say it. Uh. Yeah. 
All right? Faith is the substance. It's the material. It's the fabric of the things we hope for. It is the evidence of things we still don't have. Things that are not visible yet. Faith puts substance to the things that we are believing for. We understand the formula of faith. Give everyone a bigger round of applause there. We've learned faith as a formula. But Jesus is tying faith to a picture of who God is. Very interesting. He says, if God will clothe the flowers, and they're here today and they're gone tomorrow, how much more important are you? Have you ever read in the news, have you ever read in history where around the globe a whole season went by and the flowers didn't bloom? And Jesus is saying, if there's transient things that are here and they're gone, they have no lasting intrinsic value unless they were given as a gift and the memory has value. How much more important are you to God that if he would clothe the lilies of the field? And you say, he clothes the lily. Yeah, he's the one who painted and designed and architected all of what those flowers, just like the birds, he designed it all. And if God would clothe them with the colors and the exuberance and the beautiful, beautiful uh, descriptions that he painted them with, if he would do that for them, how much more valuable are you? And so he's talking about faith, but he ties it to relationship to the character and the personhood of who God is. We've learned faith as a formula, but Jesus is teaching us faith as a picture of a person. And here's the problem. Well, before I, I share that with you, I'm going to ask you, how many of you know faith as a picture of God? Now, guys, don't put the scripture up on the screen. How many of you know what Mark, Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 to 11 says? Don't look it up. Colleen, I see you looking it up. Now, it's all right. I'm messing with you, girl. You got to see Colleen in Bible college. Do you know that uh, year three preached for the first time this week, a lot of them for the very first time, and Colleen was so scared and so nervous about preaching, and she preached in Bible college this week, and she did so good that afterwards she did a little victory dance like this here. And everyone was just cheering her on. She did great. In fact, they all did great. Pastor Carlos had to stay back to help me because some of the technology we had to do, we had to stream in some of the students online so that we could see them on the big screen and preaching. And uh, Pastor Carlos was so excited afterwards. And he and I were talking on the phone. And he just kept going on and on. Didn't all the students do really, really good? They did. They did awesome. They did incredible. But you see, we want to make sure that when we paint pictures of God, we're painting pictures that accurately reflect who he is. Can I get an agreement? So I'm going to ask you again, and don't look it up, but how many of you know the picture that Jesus used or one of the pictures Jesus used to paint a picture of faith of God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 to 11. Put your hand up if you know it without looking at your Bible. You see, we know Hebrews chapter 11, 1. We know faith as a formula. But the deepest, strongest faith in my heart doesn't come from the formula. It comes from the picture that I have of God. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 to 11. And by the way, the verse I just read to you in Luke chapter 12, verse 22, was also repeated in Matthew 6, 25. 
And Jesus is, was painting a picture of how God dresses the flowers and he'll take care of you. How he feeds the birds and they don't have a barn to store food in. But he feeds them and he will feed you. You're more important to him than those things. And now here in Matthew chapter 7 verse 9 to 11, this is also repeated in Luke chapter 11 verse 11 to 13. And Jesus paints a picture with these words. Listen to this. In fact, close your eyes for a moment. As I read it to you, I want you to conjure up images from the words that I speak. This is what Jesus said. Which of you, if your son were to ask for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he were to ask for fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you have a fallen nature, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You see, I believe in the formula of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is. I believe in it. And there is a formula to faith. Faith works. It's logical. It has principles. And so, of course, it works. But here's the issue. You can know the principles of faith. You can know the formula of faith. But deep down in the recesses of your early childhood experiences or young adult experiences, if your interactions with another fellow human being, especially someone who's supposed to love you or protect you or be an authority, injured you in an area, an arena where you were supposed to be protected, subconsciously we overlay the reflection of the image of God that was supposed to be in them and we overlay the broken image back onto God, and it affects our picture of who God is. And so you could have the formula, and you could quote that formula, and you could be believing God for a breakthrough, and you can dance, you could shout, you could even get hopping mad and call it into being. But if there is a broken picture of God deep down in your heart, you will never receive anything bigger than the picture of God. Now, I know every one of us, if we've all heard the Christian song, and every time I say this, I get a choir response from the congregation, God is good. And we all know how to say that. And we all believe it, or at least most of us believe it. But faith, is only as strong as the weakest link in your belief system. And the reason why faith will be tested is because you will only hold on to the faith that's equivalent to the weakest link in your belief system. And so when you're under pressure and everything's going wrong, what are the quiet, non-verbalized sentiments that come out of your thoughts about God. You see, in, in a little moment, I'm going to share a personal experience that happened to me this week. But my point right now is this. You could have the formula of faith down pat, but if somewhere the picture of faith, the picture of God is a little bit broken, that picture will rob you from the breakthrough of the formula you're confessing. Hang on. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Chuck, you said it too, right? I heard you. Yeah, all right. I could use that hat as I'm painting. I mean, that would make a really good painter's cap. Uh, but I'd need the goatee too. Yeah. Anyway, church, hear me. Oftentimes, our faith is tied to a formula. There will be no greater faith 
than the greatness of your picture and your image of who God is. Hello? And so when your picture of God is a picture of a dad who loves you so much that he will always be quick to answer and bless you, that faith is always a stronger faith than just the faith exercised in a principle or a formula. You see, faith is really about relationship. How much do you trust the character of God? How much, when, when things on the surface, everything is going wrong, how much can you really deep down in your heart say, well, God really is good. And God's going to take care of me and he's going to look after me and this whole thing's going to work out. How many of you are getting what I'm talking about? Are you with me? Listen, I have found, because I do a lot of counseling, and I have found in all the years of counseling that the people that have been traumatized the most in their childhood by the people who should have protected them the most. Unfortunately, even though they are the victims, they become cursed. The judgment you make is the curse you wear. And so when people who should have protected you misuse you and abuse you, we respond in different ways, but one of the ways we respond in, some people respond in, is we become very self-protecting and we become very withdrawn and we trust no one but ourselves. And we say we trust God. But what we don't realize is the mere fact that we have to be so in control. We have to have everything ordered to a T because only I can really look after me and God. But yet the word of God teaches us a principle called chain of command. If you were to ask any of the Bible school students in our college, every one of them, while they wouldn't place it as the number one subject, and I've done this, I've, I've done a, a, a poll with the students, chain of command constantly comes up as one of the most important subjects or one of the most eye-opening subjects they experience through the three years of college. The two greatest weapons that the enemy uses in the church and against the church is a lack of understanding of chain of command and the spirit of offense. Now, the reason why chain of command is important, I shared with you several weeks ago how God created us to reflect him. And when we're broken, because that's a principle, when we are broken, we reflect a broken image of God. And when we are the recipient of people being hurtful and spiteful and nasty, not being faithful and being dishonest and abusing us or accusing us or not loving us, unfortunately, that principle of reflection causes us to use our interactions with fellow men and women, and it becomes an overlay onto the image of God. And when you've been abused by the people who should have protected you, it affects you. And when you decide, I'm going I, I, to look after me. No one will look after me as good as I look after me. And you become very, very controlled. And you have to control every situation. I'm not condemning you. You're hurt and broken just like all of us. And we're all hurt and broken in different ways. And so if this illustration is pointing to you, it's not in judgment or condemnation. It's just one way that I want to illustrate that at times we don't notice consciously that we actually don't trust God. Chain of command says, God says, I will put leaders in your life and you honor them as you would honor me and trust that I am in control. And when we can't trust those in leadership around us, it is always a very primary indication that we've been injured by people in authority. And to God, it's a reflection that we don't trust that he really has 
my whole world in his hand. If he has the whole world in his hand, then every one of your situations are in his hand. And when he says submit to the authorities, what he's saying is, show me you trust me by submitting to authorities that I've placed around you. So easy to say, God is good. But when we analyze our actions and our reactions and the secret thoughts that come out of our hearts when we're under pressure, sometimes the picture comes up a little bit different than what we thought it would have been. And so the more I have to be in control, the less I actually trust that God has got my whole world in his hand. Am I speaking the truth? More importantly, am I speaking to anyone? You don't have to put your hand up. You see, most of us are like the rest of us. Hey, I say that a lot. Let me share a story with you that happened this week. In fact, God put this series on my heart the week that I had to come up with a new series. And in this instance, in this particular case, he bombarded me with sermon ideas. I shared with you from the first week how even in my sleep, I'm preaching and he's inspiring me and giving me ideas. And finally, I had to say to myself while I was asleep, Rob, it's time to rest. God will help you pick this up in the morning. I was sound asleep and I'm reasoning with myself and saying, you need to rest. I come here and in the prayer meetings, we pray for you, the church. From Sunday to Sunday, I never know who's going to show up. I wish I did. I wish everyone showed up every week. But I don't know who's going to show up and I don't know what's happened in your life or your life or your life, Bill. I don't know every incident and what has probably or most likely overlaid an image onto your concept of God. And sometimes we're conscious of these things and sometimes we're not. And so when God put this series on my heart, I found myself in the prayer meetings literally under the anointing of intercession. Now, let me explain what intercession means. Sometimes God will take the emotions that he feels for a person and he puts it on another person who's a strong or a stronger Christian, and he says, I want you to pray for them out of the emotions that I feel. And so when you're in intercession, it's illogical. One moment you could be happy and you're thinking great thoughts, and God says, pray for so-and-so, and you're weeping deeply. And so during the beginning of this series, I found that often in the prayer meetings, I would just be weeping for the congregation, no one particular face. And I'd feel God's hurt and his sadness for broken people. And I'd see, and I'd start praying, God, they've all been wounded no differently than me. We've all been wounded. Heal them. Heal them, God. As I preach, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to get inside the pictures of their memories and their past and every place the devil tried to put a scar in them. Heal them so that that obstacle will become a demarcation of where they got set free and their relationship with you is just broken open to a new dimension. And uh, thank God the last two weeks as I've preached and we had an altar call last Sunday, a lot of people have, a lot of you have been responding and sharing with me, wow, God's really opened my eyes to this situation in my childhood or this in my previous marriage, et cetera, et cetera. And God's been healing those memories and I see how I have reflected those experiences onto the image of God. Well, it's interesting. I find that God is very clever. Because as I've been interceding like that for you, for everyone in this congregation, for people I don't even know, and carrying God's heart, 
this week, Monday, I was in a conversation and um, <clears throat> talking about someone who had injured me and injured this church a number of years ago. And new information came to me firsthand, uh, firsthand information. And I thought to myself, how typical of that person. And I brushed it away. We were at dinner, and we're having a great time. But I noticed on Tuesday I was a little bit annoyed. I was agitated. And I'm trying to think, why am I feeling agitated? And Tuesday afternoon I'm feeling even a little bit more annoyed and upset and agitated. And Wednesday, Thursday, in fact, every free minute I got, I went to work at the house with the hammer and the drills and the circular sword purposely to burn off some steam. But I know nobody here ever goes through anything like that, right? I got a lot of work done on the house this week. <laughs> and towards the end of the week, by Thursday, I realized, you know, I really do have a problem with this person. And somehow, God, you're going to have to help me to... Forgive them because it's conjuring up too much emotion. And I started to look inside my heart and see things that I wasn't really proud of. Now, I'm sharing this with you so that you could relate, not so that you can use it against me tomorrow. All right? I love being transparent because the more honest we are and the more transparent we are, the more sincerity exudes and people start to drop off their own facades and start to be real. And so by Thursday, I'm pretty, I'm really struggling. I was. I'm being totally honest. And then by Friday afternoon, um, <clears throat> I was working at a frantic pace. I'm glad the house isn't a living, animate object. <laughs> and Pastor Carlos comes over to visit and pass some information on to me, and, you know, I really love Pastor Carlos, and I often tell you how I, I open up with the pastoral team, and I listen to them for advice, and I took a moment, and I shared with Pastor Carlos some of the ugliness that I was seeing in my own heart, and some of the pain, and no sooner I started to tell the story, I just broke down, and I started to weep from the hurts and the pain that those situations had caused over the last six, seven, eight years. And, uh, you know, I, I'll be honest, I wept quite a bit. And Pastor Carlos was very patient. I love this guy. Uh, didn't try to start counseling me. He identified with me. He said, I understand the hurt, man. I, you know, I hate seeing you like this. And... Uh, I, it would hurt me too. And after sharing with him Friday night, it's like a weight lifted. I felt really good. Saturday morning, I came to the prayer meeting. And we had a great prayer meeting. I had a great time. And it was really, really good. And Saturday, straight after the prayer meeting, I had to take a phone call, answer some questions. I go down to the house, and I'm working on the house, and I'm much happier. But I noticed that Saturday morning, as soon as I woke up, now remember, I told God, you're going to have to help me bring forgiveness into this situation. As I'm working at the house, I'm thinking about the fact that as soon as I woke up Saturday morning, there was a memory from my childhood. Just for some reason, somebody opened the file, and it came out of the file, and here's this picture, and I'm going to share this picture with you. When I was about, um, <clears throat> when I was nine, my parents moved to Australia to pastor a church among the Italian immigrants that were moving to Australia. When I was 10, one year later, uh, one of the families in the church, um, <clears throat> he, as an employee of the city, was invited to the Christmas party. And there was about, 
a hundred people and it was a picnic in one of the national parks. And they asked me if I wanted to go because they had a son who was uh, same age as me. And we're playing all day and we're having fun and plenty of food. And we get on the bus to come home. And two of the employers had gotten drunk. And so we're on the bus and one is singing loudly and making noise, and the, both of them are carrying on a little bit, and everyone's giggling a little bit. Now, you need to understand this particular dynamics. While Australia is a great ally to America, and we are allies with each other, as an American in Australia with a very strong accent, there's, we have a saying in Australia, tall poppy syndrome. And a tall poppy syndrome, who knows what a tall poppy syndrome is? You know what a poppy is? Who knows what a poppy is? It's those long, uh, beautiful flowers that have a long, thin stem, and then just four or five red petals, and they look like uh, really thin uh, flowers, and thin petals, and then in the middle it's black. Poppy seeds come from it. They actually also make drugs from it, okay? That's not why I know about this flower, okay? Beautiful flower, very delicate flower, very long, thin stem with one flower at the top. And so in Australia, because they, it's a nation that was born as a penal colony and it was settled initially with convicts, there's generally a, a negative self-image over the nation. And one of the traits that manifests is that when one of their own starts to rise up, they'll chop it down, okay? And they call it the poppy uh, uh, syndrome, tall poppy syndrome. As soon as one flower rises up above the others, they'll cut it to the ground. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, Americans are not necessarily always treated like the allies we are, and they are to us in times of war. Americans come across a little bit obnoxious overseas. And so this is back in 1969. I'm 10 years old, roughly, and uh, had a very strong American accent. Now, whether that was the reason why this next thing happened or not, I'm not sure. But I'm sitting on the outside uh, in the aisle seat, and the boss gets up, and the bus is filled with adults and some kids, and he comes over to me and slaps me across the face. Everyone went quiet. And for the rest of that journey, no one giggled, no one said a thing, and no one stood up for me. I went home, and I remember telling my mom and my dad, and Obviously, they didn't know what to do with it. But from my perspective as a little boy, my perspective, I don't remember, I don't remember, okay? This is from my memory. I don't remember my parents having a sit down with the head of the family that had taken me and asked questions. Now, maybe they did that behind the scenes. Uh, but I also understand that it probably was a very awkward situation for my father since he was the pastor of the church. And back in those days, the general attitude with kids was if you get in trouble with someone in authority and you come home and tell me about it, you're going to be in more trouble with me as a parent. Generally, that was the attitude. All I know and all I know is that Saturday morning, I wake up with this picture and this memory settled in my head. No one stood up for me. No one said that was wrong. Not on the bus, whether it was for fear that they would lose their job, uh, not at home. There was never a sense of vindication. And what's really interesting is I'm thinking about why is this picture popping up in my memory? God reminds me, during the week, as I was upset and annoyed at the things that hurt me, I said, you know, God, if, not, if I'm not important enough that you would vindicate me in that situation, 
Maybe I'm not the guy to be a pastor of a church. And God was allowing all this stuff to come to the surface because all the intercession that I was doing for everyone else, God says it also goes to your account. And when God brought this memory to my conscious mind, he then tied it together and I realized that I had overlaid the experience of that moment when I was 10 onto the image of God. And I immediately said to myself, you know, Dad, I need to sit down with you and apologize because I have judged you based on some human interaction. And I've allowed the enemy to paint a picture in my wound that doesn't really reflect you. I love the fact that while I've been burdened for everyone else and interceding for everyone else and praying for everyone else, that God didn't miss me either. But he made sure that he came and touched my heart also. You see, the reality is you'll often hear me say, God is good. In fact, just in normal conversation, you'll often hear me say things like, praise God, God is good. Isn't God good? God's awesome. And I believe it with all of my heart. But there was an area where there was a picture and the mirror that was supposed to reflect God was cracked. And God said, I want to fix that because what has been an obstacle I want it to be a demarcation in your life where you stepped into another level of being set free. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me? We're painting pictures all the time. And so is the enemy always trying to paint pictures. But it's really important that we ask ourselves, consciously or subconsciously, what pictures are we painting of God? This is the kind of picture that God wants us to paint. A picture of a God who absolutely loves us, irrespective of color or culture, irrespective of what side of the train tracks we, we live on or were born on. Jesus was constantly painting pictures of God, and he was constantly painting pictures of a God that we can trust. Every one of us have been wounded. Every one of us have been hurt, and every one of us have been disappointed. And I can assure you that if we haven't had the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to heal that moment, there are probably traces of that shadow on the image of God. I can say God is good, and I believe it with all my heart, but I also pray in God continue to heal anything in my experience that doesn't properly reflect you. Can I get an agreement? Jesus was always painting pictures of God. What kind of pictures are you painting of God? Do you know that God actually looks at the pictures that we paint? It's scriptural. It's biblical. In Malachi chapter 3, God says to Israel, You have spoken. You have misspoken. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, how have we said anything against you? And God says, deep down in your heart, you have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? Now we call the arrogant are blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. 
Then those who feared, who honored, and respected the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened, and he heard them. You see, they were painting positive pictures of God. They respected, they honored, they feared the Lord, and God listened to the pictures they were painting with their words. And this is what God says. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. You see, on any given Sunday and on any given day, you'll hear me say, God is good. But in the middle of this week when I was hurting from the constant revision of a memory, a disappointment, a bitter, bitter wound. At my weakest link, the faith that came out of my mouth was, well, God, if it's not important to you to vindicate me, maybe I'm not the man. It's easy to say we have faith in God but your picture of God gets tested and it's when it's tested that what we really hold on to comes to the surface. Now, I don't feel condemned and I'm not trying to make you feel condemned. God knows we're broken and he's restoring us into his image from glory to greater glory. And that's the principle of heaven. God takes us from glory to greater glory. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I am a full-fledged, bona fide son of God. I am a citizen of heaven. And it doesn't matter how many uh, nuclear weapons China has, Russia has, or America has. I am a citizen of heaven. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against the kingdom of God. I am a child of the Most High. He could have just forgiven me of my sins. He could have just allowed me into heaven as a forgiven sinner. But no, he loves me so much, he made me a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He loves you so much. He didn't just wash away your sin and say, okay, I'll let you in. He made you a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And together we are seated with him right now in heavenly places. Hallelujah. I want God to bring more stuff to the surface. What happened to me this week, even though as I went through it, it was painful. It was also painful to see pictures that were in my heart that shouldn't have been there. I want that stuff to come to the surface. And I want God to tie up and link up pictures from the past that caused me to come to wrong conclusions and have attitudes of defeat and attitudes of wanting to quit. I want him to keep doing that because I want him in my weakest moments to be able to record words that say, God, I trust you and you are faithful and you are good. How many of you want God to keep working on the story of your life. Amen. Amen. I took the liberty to share this very personal story, knowing full well that human nature is what human nature is, and some might view me a little less, who less, who more. But somehow, as a preacher, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the terminator. I'm the sermonator. <laughs> Somehow, one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, that's why they're laughing. 
Are you saying it's funny that I actually came up with something funny? <laughs> Careful, Pastor Rob, more wounds are coming to the surface. If me being vulnerable like this and breaking down in detail how even though I know God is good, yet there was a little spot. If breaking it down helps you to break things down so that suddenly you're not just hearing paragraphs, you're getting the point in your personal life. Things are coming together. Then me looking less than is a great thing. Unless a seed falls to the ground and is willing to die, it can never bear much fruit. We live in a culture that's constantly trying to prop up our image. And I find Jesus was always real and very honest. And there's liberty in being honest and being real. So we don't have it all together. But God does. And God wants to help us get it all together. And in the process, we are still sons of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The journey of taking us through isn't in front of the judgment seat. The journey of taking us through is in front of his mercy seat. And there's no condemnation. There's just healing in his wings. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Amen. And Father, I thank you for what you crafted and helped me to visit this week. And I'm trusting you to help me to ooze with love and forgiveness. But I do apologize for misjudging you that you would not defend me or vindicate me. That you wouldn't stand up for me like adults did or didn't in that moment of my childhood. And I pray, Dad, that by your Holy Spirit, you will bless every one of us in this place so that every counterfeit painting of you will be taken off the wall and you will release us and set us free from the judgments we've made and from the sentence we carry. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you have been working in the hearts of this congregation, me included, and I release you to continue to work in our hearts and our minds so that we will see God as he really is. And that we will know that he is and he is a rewarder of everyone who diligently seeks him. Amen. Holy Spirit, you're really the sermonator. So keep preaching this sermon and tailor it to each person's needs. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, or if you did some time ago and you've walked away, now's not the time to run from his presence. Now's the time to run to his presence. And before I say the benediction, if there's anyone who wants to and feels the need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus said, I stand at the door of every person's heart and mind, constantly looking for an opportunity to get in. And if you're ready to let him in, Quickly, while every eye is closed, raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior today. Every eye closed, just give me a wave. I'm going to pray for you. Those of you that are watching online, at the end of this sermon, you can call in and let us know that you have asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart. Now let's be real honest. How many of you know that God is still working on stuff in your life? Would you raise your hand? And Father, right now, 
as you've done for me and will continue to do for me, I believe and pray that you will continue to do in all of us. Continue to rewrite the stories of our lives. Continue to release us from the wounds and the hurts and the baggage. Continue to help us see the moments where we've made a judgment about you in a weak moment. And Lord, break the sentence from off of our lives. You became the curse so we could be curse free. Have at it. Father, I thank you. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, have at it. In every one of us, continue to break the curses in our lives so that we can enjoy and experience the blessings of our Father. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now turn to half a dozen people and tell them, you're more valuable than a Tanzanite stone. Amen. <laughs>